The first reading is Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. And this can be found on page 961 in the Pew Bible. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. The second reading is Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 14, and this can be found on page 1180 in the Pew Bible. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attain unto the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to uh, have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning to you all. It's a great joy and a privilege to be here and uh, sharing together in God's word. Um, we are looking, there's two passages there. We could spend ages on either one of them, on both of them. We won't spend ages on any of them, but we will look at the fo focus on the first one. So if you've got two fingers in your Bibles, you can take the one out of Philippians for the minute, and we're going to look together at the passage from Malachi, Malachi chapter 3. Uh, if you've lost it, I think it's page 961 of the Bibles in the pews, 961. And may I speak in the name of the one true living God, the only God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So I wonder, have you ever had one of those days? 
Do you know those days when things just don't seem to go right from the moment you wake? I think we're probably all familiar with those days, aren't we? When things just don't go the way that they should, the day starts wrong, you wake up and find that your alarm hasn't gone off and you forgot to put your phone on charge last night, so that's out. And then you get up and there's no hot water and then you find the clothes you want are the ones that are doing the washing. And then, it's all right, Matthew, you can... <laughs> yeah, I'm way above that. Um, the, the, you, you find everything's gone wrong, you get down to have your breakfast and you, find you, you make your toast and find that the toaster wasn't plugged in and then you're running late, then you drop your toast on the floor, then you spill your cup of tea and then you get to the bus and the bus is late and you're late for the meeting. We've had days like that, aren't we? One of those days, we have shorthand, don't we? Do you remember those sort of days? You get the point. Maybe even having a day like that today. <laughs> if so, well done for getting to church. That's a, that's a good step. Imagine having days like that every day. Imagine every day was like that. Imagine that things never seem to go right, that we're always, always chasing a tail, that there's always friction. Nothing seems to run smoothly. But imagine again if we were to magnify those problems significantly. And rather than just dropping our breakfast on the floor, imagine waking up to no breakfast. Imagine living a life where we didn't have Food. Or imagine waking up every day knowing that there's going to be nothing other than stress and hassle and there being not enough time or energy to be able to get through the day. Or imagine waking each day knowing that you're going to be in pain and knowing that that pain all day is just going to sap the life and energy from you. Or imagine every day feeling tormented or trapped by circumstances. Imagine thinking that you've tried every possible means of escape and you're convinced that there's no way out ever, no hope, no light at the end of the tunnel. Life like that, those conditions are f for many, many people in the world today are real. That is how life seems to be. Even for many of our friends and neighbours, maybe even someone watching this online or maybe even here today. If that is the case, hang in there because the Bible has not just good news, brilliant, great news for people for whom life feels like that each day. Because the Bible has a very specific term for a life like the one I've just tried to describe. And the Bible describes that as a cursed life, a life lived under the curse. We may use that term in various different uh, comical ways or mystical ways, but the Bible repeatedly talks about a cursed life and describes it as life that is lived separate from Jesus. Life that is cut off from Jesus is a life that is cursed. In fact, the Bible says that that is exactly the life that all of us, every human being, is born into without exception. And if we're brave enough to accept it, we find that the Bible, in the Bible, Jesus himself actively seems to make things go wrong for us when we try to live without him. That's tough, isn't it? But it's not because Jesus is nasty, nasty and vindictive. Of course not. He's exactly the opposite to that. Rather, he wants to highlight to us how much we need him, how dangerous and disappointing and flat and dull and lifeless life is without Jesus. And life cut off from Jesus is so tough because he is the source, he is the fountainhead, he is the origin and the giver of all good things, of blessing and joy and light and life and peace and energy. 
And he cares so much about all of us, everyone that he's made, that he just won't allow us to carry on in such bleak existence. And he constantly shouts at us, shakes us, tries to get us out of such a life. So get, get us into such a point where we just say, I can't cope anymore. So we reach out to him, we call to him, we cry to him for help. And as we do that, we always find him with arms wide open, with a smiling face and a huge welcome saying, come, let's sort this out. And he transforms us and he takes us from a caterpillar into a butterfly and gives us new abundant life. Many of the people we encounter at work or at school, in our neighbours, in the shops, live a cursed life because they don't belong to Jesus. They're cut off from Jesus. And many of them don't even know it's happening. You'll have spotted in the first of our two readings in Malachi, there in verse 9 of Malachi 3, the curse is the verdict of the Lord Jesus himself when he looks at the Old Testament church. Do you see it in verse 9? You are under a curse, you and the whole nation. This little book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, has such a great, clear, powerful word for the church of Jesus Christ in all ages. It has a powerful word for all of us here today. It's only got four chapters in the book of Malachi. It takes about seven minutes to read it. And there's a series of questions and answers. If you're one of those people who's got loads of questions, Malachi's a great book to read. If you haven't read Malachi all the way through recently, Take seven minutes today, just seven minutes, just to read through the book of Malachi. It's well worth it, and it's crammed full of some wonderful and encouraging truths. Predominantly questions from the church that Jesus himself gives the answers to. And in these verses we're looking at, Jesus delivers both a stark warning and a wonderfully comforting invitation that are both summarized in verse 7. Can you see in Malachi 3, verse 7, we're on page 961 or 962, Ever since the time of your forefathers, says the Lord, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. That's the stark warning. Then the, the invitation, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Jesus seems to be saying, you've turned away from me, you've not done what I ask, you've cut yourselves off from me, but return to me and I will return to you. And presumably, I think perhaps understandably, the people respond in verse 8 with, how should we do that? How do we return? What's gone on? And Jesus shows them that the root cause of the problem is that the people of God are robbing God. They're robbing God. Will a mere mortal rob God? Says in verse 8. Perhaps like us, the people are a little bit confused. How on earth is it possible for somebody to rob God? Has somebody dressed up as a burglar and found their way to heaven and snuck in and helped themselves to some goodies? No, of course not. That's not what's happening. The Lord goes on to explain to his own people that they have not only robbed him once in the past, but they continue to rob him continually by failing to give him what he deserves, what is his by right. That's what he means when he talks there about by not bringing the tithes and the offerings. A tithe, as many of us will know, is a gift of a tenth, a tenth portion of what a person has, and is considered in the Bible to be the absolute minimum of what was to be given to Jesus and the work of the church and the kingdom. The absolute minimum, because free will offerings and other offerings come on top of that. But the tithe is the absolute minimum, and the people of the Old Testament church had decided not to give what the Lord deserves, the absolute minimum. It's not clear whether they had decided maliciously to hold on to it, 
or whether they were just being careless, apathetic, forgetting to give what the Lord deserves and what is his by right. Whether it's intentional or whether it's careless, what they're not doing is giving to the Lord what's his. That, says Jesus, is the root cause of the problem and that is why, according to verse 9, you are under a curse. That's why you're not only having one of those days, you're having lots and lots of those days and you're actually finding life incredibly tough, cut off from me. Nothing was going right. The people never had enough. They could never escape their problems. At night they wished it was daytime, in the daytime they wished it was night. The money they had just seemed to evaporate. They were putting money into pockets or bags with holes in. Their efforts and hard work produced nothing of substance. One of the passages in the Bible that describes in quite a lot of detail a cursed life is in Deuteronomy, all the way back in Deuteronomy 28. It's a long, hard chapter to read, but in it, if, as we read it, it seems, even though it was written thousands of years ago, to describe life for so many people that are separated from Jesus today. It talks about people who have anxious minds, despairing hearts, eyes filled with longing that's never fulfilled, living in constant suspense, never sure of anything in life, no solid foundations. The future seemed bleak, and every day just seemed to sap life out of the people of God here. They couldn't be a blessing to others because they weren't receiving blessings themselves. They weren't seeing unchurched people come to know and love Jesus because they were spending all their time and energies just keeping going, just keeping on the treadmill, just having to do all the things that cope with, to cope with each day. All this, says Jesus, is because you're under a curse, and you're under a curse because you're tight-fisted and not generous towards me. That's quite a stark message, isn't it? I find that quite a stark message. And it, the, the temptation to try to water this down, water this passage down in Malachi, is very great. But I don't think we need to because it's wonderfully, wonderfully resolved for us in these very verses, in what are some of the most powerful and beautiful and I think probably extraordinary words in the whole Bible. And that's saying something, isn't it? Because there's quite a lot of words in the Bible. But just look at verse 10, when the Lord says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Give me what is mine by right. Give me, bring the whole store of tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it extraordinary words aren't they if you get this right says jesus if you'll stop being tight-fisted or apathetic when it comes to money then i will pour out an avalanche a tsunami of blessings on you rather than the cursed stressful existence that you're enduring now the image of the Lord Jesus that these verses evokes is not a cruel tyrant or reluctant giver as we saw so clearly in this service last week when Tom helped us to see with all the, the razzmatazz and the party poppers and presents and gifts flying everywhere, the Lord is a cheerful, generous giver, the most cheerful giver, the most generous giver. And that's what he's like here. The images of, of one full of blessing, enormous blessings, just ready to shower them down. He's the one with overflowing generosity, who has a Niagara Falls-sized torrent of blessing. He's willing and longing to unleash 
on his people, on us. If only we will turn back to him, stop robbing him by holding tight and fast to our money and demonstrate how much we love him by putting our hands in our pockets. A famous Christian once said, the last part of a person to be converted is their wallet. The last part of a person to be converted is their wallet. I think this passage tells us that the most powerful part of a person to be converted is their wallet. Because Jesus is saying here, once, you've, once I've reached that part of you, once we've reached that deep into the very core of who you are, that even money isn't as important as me, that's when we open the gates. That's when it all starts to flow. When we let go of that which is so precious, when we let go of that which we've convinced ourselves we need most to survive, and instead give generously to Jesus and to the work of the church, that's when the blessings are blessings upon blessings, and we just don't have enough room to put them all in. When we think we don't have enough, our natural tendency is to hold more tightly to the little bit that we do have. Yet the Bible constantly calls us to something radically, radically different. Here in Malachi and in other places, the Bible calls us to give generously to Jesus, to abandon our hopes of, uh, of holding on to what we've had. Do you remember, one of the most impressive characters, I think, in the whole of the New Testament is the unnamed widow who in, at the end of Mark chapter 11, Tom, I think, at the, Mark chapter 11, at the end of Mark chapter 11, a widow with two small copper coins is seen putting both of those coins into the temple treasury. And Jesus says, I tell you, they've all given out of their wealth. She has given all that she had to live on. That is a sign of generosity. I find it extraordinary that in that incident there were two coins. Two coins. It's the end of 12, isn't it? You've, I've got it wrong. Sorry, Tom. It's, it, but, but she could have had put one in and kept the other one. I just need a little bit to live on. She gives everything. Complete abandonment. I'm going to give it all to God. I can trust him. Jesus holds her up. We don't even know her name. For generations, for hundreds of years afterwards, we've looked and seen somebody who knows what it is to give everything to the Lord and say, I'll trust him. He won't let me down. The Bible calls us to that kind of radical approach to living. Not try, we just need to abandon those hopes of trying to sort ourselves out, as if we can do it ourselves. We can't resolve our own problems. We can't escape the curse unless we give all we have to Jesus. It's a radically different way of doing things. Uh, years and years ago, for once only, sadly, I went skiing. I had some skiing lessons many, many years ago. Terrifying, particularly when the center of gravity is as high as mine. I, 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 I'm worse than Bambi, um, although Bambi's quite an old reference, but enough people are smiling to know what Bambi is. But uh, standing on the ski slope, this terrifying thing is, as the slope, the icy slope goes down away from you, the natural tendency, of course, is to want to lean back because you don't want to go down the slope. But the ski instructor kept saying, no, 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 whatever you do, don't lean back, because if you lean back, you take the weight off your feet and whoosh, you'll go straight away, which I did countless times. He said, no, 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 what you need to do is lean forward Lean forward and put the weight on your front feet in order to be able to ski. You've got to be joking. I, can't, I remember thinking, that cannot be the right. Lean forward down an icy slope. Yeah, radical, counterintuitive. 
I've only ever been once. So don't take this as a ski lesson, folks. This isn't me giving you a ski lesson. But that radically counterintuitive way of doing something, the counterintuitive call of Jesus and his people is not to cling on to what we have and try and escape the cursed life by our own efforts, but just to let go of it all, to fling ourselves on him, to give to him what he deserves and allow him to rescue us, to allow him to look after us, to provide for us, to get us off the treadmill, the drudgery, the futility of life without him, and for allow him to lead us into the light and joy and abundant life that he is enjoying, that he has now, and that he calls us to share. We cannot buy our way out of a cursed life. No amount of comfort eating or retail therapy or yoga or sunny holidays or medical treatments or retirement plans can get us out of the curse. Cannot happen. Only Jesus, who became cursed for us, rescues us from a cursed life. This, of course, isn't a promise that every faithful Christian will never experience the effects of the cursed world. No, 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 of course not. Rather, it's a promise that every faithful Christian will experience blessing upon blessing upon blessing, even in the midst of the storms and the strife of this cursed world. Our anchor will hold in every high and stormy gale. But also in verse 10 is one of the most surprising elements of this whole passage, I think. In verse 10, numerous times in the Bible we are warned against putting the Lord our God to the test. Do not put the Lord our God to the test. We read it in various places, Deuteronomy, Luke 4, uh, Matthew 4, and various other places. Here, here in Malachi 3, do you see what the Lord says in verse 10? Test me on this. Here in this one issue, the matter of, on the matter of money, and money only. I don't think, and I've tried, I don't think anywhere else in the Bible does the Lord say, test me on this. Just on the matter of money and give it, giving, the Lord invites us to test him, to see if he's true to his word. Why is it in this one area that he is prepared, willing, encouraging us to test him? Why the area of money? Surely it's because he knows that it strikes at the very heart of who we are as human beings, whether we've got a little or a lot. Where is our trust? Where is our confidence? You see, Jesus is not short of cash. The God we believe in isn't short of cash. It was a, a Bono, the, lingua, the lead singer of U2, who said that in Rattle and Hum, for those of you who remember it. The God I believe in isn't short of cash, mister. He has all the resources of the universe at his fingertips. He has his hands on the floodgates of heaven and is willing and able to let it go and pour our blessings on his church. He says, try me, test me. Surely it's got to be worth a go, hasn't it? Surely, folks, it's worth trying him out on this. He's got a pretty good track record, hasn't he? Hasn't the living God managed since the beginning of time to always, always be faithful to his promises? Has he ever, ever let us down? Try me, he says, test me. We, of course, have the supreme example of the, this way of living, as always, in the life of Jesus, don't we? He gave everything to his Father, gave up everything, clung on to nothing, nothing for himself, and he was rewarded with abundant, eternal, everlasting life, a beautiful bride to share it with, and all of the universe to explore and enjoy. That's what it looks like when somebody gives everything to the Lord Almighty. 
He opens the floodgates of heaven and pours out so much blessing that there isn't enough room to fit it all in. Is that something we want? Surely it's got to be worth trying him, hasn't it? Got to be worth trying him. We're called to give to him, not to earn his favor, not to pay him back for what he's done. We couldn't possibly do that. Not to impress him, and certainly not to impress others. And those occasions when the plate comes by and we go to our wallet and very deliberately take out a note and put it into that everyone can see. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to give because it's already his. Everything we have belongs to him. It's already his. He's lending it to us. What are we going to do with it? There's an enormous joy in giving. We'll talk about that another day. I'll get sidetracked. We're called to give, not to earn his favor, simply so that he knows and we know where our priorities lie. Is Jesus the number one priority in our lives? When, it, when he's reached our wallet, it seems to be the answer can be yes. In the second reading, in that fantastic, fantastic verses from Philippians, if, as Paul writes in that reading, everything else is rubbish, everything else is garbage, everything else compared to Jesus is worthless, what have we got to lose? What have we got to lose? We've got nothing. We've got garbage and rubbish to lose and everything to gain by having Jesus as our number one priority in everything that we think and do. Perhaps we need to fundamentally readjust our thinking in in relation to Jesus and making him our priority and what that means and how that affects our life, including our giving. Perhaps we need to think not, how much should I give to God? And I've read books and heard sermons and seen all sorts of people saying, here's a formula for working out how much we ought to be able to give. Perhaps we ought to readjust significantly and say, he has given me so much, he's given me all these things, how much do I need to cling on to for myself in order to carry on and the rest of it's his? It's a different mindset, isn't it? How much do I actually need to keep going? Whether we've got a little or a lot, the same mindset can apply. If Jesus is on our side, if he promises to give us all we need, give us today our daily bread, he always does. He always will. Then we can give generously and cheerfully and start to know what it is to live under the waterfall of his blessing. What if, folks, what if, just closing your eyes for a moment and imagining that Jesus is currently standing at the floodgates of heaven and he's just wanting to open those floodgates and pour out his blessings on us as individuals and us as a church here at Thurnby. What if he's waiting to throw them open, showers, drenches with his blessing? Whether that, that will be blessing in relation to the next steps in the hub project, or blessings in relation to the work in the nether hall, or blessings in relation to the church plant in Thermiston, or blessings in relation to the youth work and the staffing issues and all that's going on. What if the only thing that's holding him back is our being reluctant to give our money to him and his kingdom? Is it worth testing him in this? It's got to be worth trying him out, hasn't it? Fear seems to have gripped the hearts and minds and lives of the world in which we live, probably more so in the last two or three years than any other time. We as Christians are called to be different. We can be 
different. We can abandon ourselves and our petty needs and our fading pleasures. We can say, in fact, we can shout, I don't care about all these things. I care about Jesus as the number one priority. I care about his kingdom. Everything else is just mere details. Everything else is in his hands. He can do, do all that. I care about Jesus and the kingdom. It's got to be worth trying him in, isn't it? He invites us to test him on this and this alone. Shouldn't we give it a go? If you keep having one of those days, if you feel like life just doesn't seem to go the way it should and you feel cut off from Jesus, if you feel like you're stuck on an endless treadmill without him, if you feel trapped in a dark dungeon without the life of Jesus, if you feel you're running on empty and constantly struggling to make ends meet because you're separate from Jesus, the invitation this morning from Jesus seems clear, doesn't it? And if we here in Thurnby are find, finding church life just a constant uphill struggle, if we're flagging and running out of energy, if the work seems endless and intimidating and the goal seems difficult to see, the invitation from Jesus to us this morning seems clear, doesn't it? Return to me. Put me as a number one priority. Put me in the, in the top spot in life. Let go of your own attempts to put things right. Let me do that, says Jesus. Give your all to me, even that which is most precious to you, even your money. Be generous to me. Test me, try me, says the living God, and see if I don't open the floodgates of heaven and pour out on you blessing after blessing after blessing. Amen.